Well, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to uh, the second day of Cool Logistics Global Virtual Edition. For those of you who joined us yesterday, hope you had a productive and enjoyable day, and uh, welcome back. For those of you joining us fresh today, um, please remember that you can actually go back into the previous day and now access all the recordings uh, to view at your leisure. But obviously we hope you don't be, won't be doing that today because you'll be too engaged with us here in the room with our live sessions. So my name is Rachel White and on behalf of the whole team, it's a really great pleasure to have you here and thank you for your support to join us for this first ever virtual edition. Uh, my job this morning is to um, open, uh, give you some housekeeping notes and some remarks about uh, this event under the theme of Imagine, Transform and Rebuild. So I am going to be giving you some housekeeping notes and talking about how you can get the most out of the session. Um, but we have with us this morning um, from our key sponsor and host, um, Emil Hoogstaden, Vice President Commercial for Port of Rotterdam. I'd like to extend our very great thanks to Port of Rotterdam for supporting us to transition from the live event we were supposed to be holding in that great port city this week uh, to this virtual edition. Um, Emil has a limited time, so before I run through the housekeeping notes, I'm going to turn straight over to him to talk to us um, and give the view from Port of Rotterdam on um, cold chain world going forwards. So, uh, Emil, welcome, and uh, the floor is yours. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for your kind words. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, dear participants to Cool Logistics, good morning to you all. I'm proud that Port of Rotterdam has the honor to be the hosting partner, partner of this year's Cool Logistics edition. And I'd like to start by congratulating the organizers on their creativity and flexibility in organizing this conference online. And of course, I wish to compliment you, the participants, for deciding to attend this event in such large numbers from all over the world. I hope you have all found a comfortable chair for the occasion with a cup of tea or coffee at hand. As relaxed as these arrangements may be, I still look forward to meeting you in person again during next year's event here in Rotterdam. Having said that, as Rachel already said, the program looks very promising. Hopefully you are, just like us, looking forward to be learning more about the success factors for the cold chain industry. However, we may as well start with COVID. There's no way around it. It has turned the world on its head. It has accelerated certain international trends that were already taking shape before the outbreak. In Europe, we seem to be going through a second wave. Only yesterday evening, the Dutch government announced new and stricter measures to fight the further spreading of contamination. Apart from the health of the people, the question is, of course, what effect will this have on the economy? However, despite the difficult circumstances of almost all global trade flows, so far, agri-food has been performing quite well. Although we have seen a declining demand in the catering and food service sectors, the overall cold chain has proven to be a stable and even growing industry in the first half year of 2020 compared to last year. The volume of inbound food shipments in Rotterdam rose by 162,000 tons to 3.2 million tons. 
food supplies now account for 57% of total inbound river transport. In particular, we see a growth in inbound uh, avocado and tropical food shipments. Import avocados rose by over one-third to 225,000 tons. This puts avocados in third place in terms of food carried in reef containers after bananas and grapes. According to Seabury, the strong global growth is expected to continue annually until 2023, at least 2023, in both agri-food import and export. COVID permitting, of course, who knows? These growth figures can be explained by the fact that the world population is growing and the demand for food, plus the way we consume it, is more diverse than ever. We want our food fresh and we want it now. And this has an irrevocable impact on our business. At the Port of Rotterdam, we are ready to facilitate you towards a fruitful future, no matter the destination of your product. But Port of Rotterdam is always the fastest route to freshness. Let me explain something about our ingredients for success. First of all, our warranty of freshness. Port Rotterdam understands what is necessary to keep your product fresh until it reaches its destination, and we give our full support to make this happen. Port Rotterdam is the one-stop shop for all your agri-food desires. We thoroughly understand the sector and its needs, which enables us to guarantee the constant quality of your product. Fresh or frozen, your product will be handled with the utmost care, using impeccable services, the best storage facilities and a dense distribution network. This way, we always guarantee a suitable solution. By offering the most extensive range of specialist agri-food facilities and logistical connections, we see ourselves as a hub that connects all possible routes, from deep sea to short sea and even further inland, whether by barge, rail or truck. We are situated amidst the green ports, the biggest agricultural hubs of the Netherlands. Not only are juicy vegetables and fruit grown, packed and distributed from here, because of the largest cold store capacity in Europe, these fresh grown products are also stored in the best conditions to be instantly ready for export. At Port of Rotterdam, we don't stop until your product, seasonal or year-round, hits its final destination, the consumer. Secondly, Port of Rotterdam is a future-proof choice. We are open 24-7 and accessible for the largest container vessels at all times. Investing in supply chains of the future is key to our way of doing business. But we can do more. By shortening transit times, we reduce CO2 emission and, in this way, guarantee less food waste. By being partner in the Flying Swans program, we share our logistics expertise with the industry in order to tap into new fruit and vegetable markets and further develop cold chain logistics together. If you want to know more about Flying Swans, by the way, and the projects, join the presentation of Tom Bauman of Flying Swans today. To accommodate the growth of the agri-food segment, we launched Rotterdam Food Hub in proximity to the major container terminals at the Maaslacht. With its optimal nautical infrastructure, this large greenfield business park of 60 hectares is specially designed to provide agri-food companies with the space they need to grow to forage. Insta Drinks, a leading manufacturer of smoothies and fresh juices, will be the first firm to set up at Rotterdam Food Hub.
A brand new climate neutral factory, the blender, will open mid-2021. The plant will produce some 400 million bottles of fresh juice per year, destined for 17 different European markets, and will create around 200 new jobs. By cutting its road transport requirement by millions of kilometers and reducing its carbon footprint by 10%, Innocent sets an example as far as sustainable production is concerned. The last point I would like to address is how we work on transparency and efficiency in the supply chain. What does your product need to keep it fresh until it reaches its final destination? A streamlined logistical process. At Port Rotterdam, our aim is a total transparent chain. We realized, we realized this through closely working together with the industry. Not only do we invest in this, but we generate more collaboration by taking new initi initiatives within the chain. In Rotterdam, we use up-to-date digital solutions to gain more insight into your cargo and therefore increase your control over your product. For example, our track and trace tool, Cargo Tracker, is specially developed to help the logistic planning process as well as monitor and manage it. Ports can be complex logistic environments. This tool gives you the clarity you need, providing real-time insight into your cargo. Our deep-sea terminals are among the most modern in the world. Processing is fast and automated and goes on 24-7. They all come with their own custom scanning facilities. This, together with the wide diversity of our equipment and specialized containers, makes sure the process runs incredibly swift and efficient. Time for me to run. Port of Rotterdam can guide you towards a fruitful future through our wide range of agri-food facilities, smart collaborations, and innovative solutions. We value your business, and we're looking forward to working together with you to achieve your commercial goals. We will make sure you don't have too much on your plate so you can focus on what lies ahead. Together we grow. Thank you for your kind attention. Let me wish you a fruitful, cool logistics event. Rachel, back to you. Thank you very much indeed, Emil. And uh, you've really set the scene for the discussions to come uh, later. Um, just from my side, you've kicked off on a number of points we just discussed yesterday and will today. As you say, COVID has definitely turned the world on its head and the impact on both the demand and the supply side of food chains uh, both being disrupted at the same time. Um, I'd also like to uh, just um, add a comment regarding infrastructure and the fusion of the physical and the digital you're talking about being one of the accelerated trends that again we'll talk about later. Uh, we too are looking forward to coming back um, and meeting in person at the next Cool Logistics in Rotterdam next May, scheduled for. Um, and you mentioned the Flying Swans presentation. That's actually taking place tomorrow where we have quite a big focus on infrastructure. And for those who don't know, please do join tomorrow. It's a really fantastic initiative to enable um, Ethiopian um, exports and uh, create a new uh, cold chain uh, clusters, corridors and infrastructure, which is uh, fundamental to, to the work we do. Um, so I'm just seeing if there's any questions for you, Emil. I know you have a limited amount of time. Um, hold on a second whilst I just, I just check. No, maybe a little early in the session for those. But 
Th thank you again, Amir. We really appreciate the time you've taken and the uh, support from Port of Rotterdam. And uh, we look forward to continue working with you uh, in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, uh, and a good and, uh, and, and enjoyable and fruitful event. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emil. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, there's a few more minutes for me to just give you a few um, words of thanks um, and housekeeping notes before I uh, have the great pleasure to turn over to our moderator for uh, this morning and indeed uh, part of this afternoon as well. So, um, Port of Rotterdam has been a huge supporter and we're so grateful that they came on the journey with us. But I'd also like to take time to um, acknowledge and thank um, the many other companies who have elected to uh, support this initiative, who've stayed with us moving from the physical into the digital world themselves. And uh, you can please visit them all on the app. If you haven't, um, as a downloaded the mobile app please do it's absolutely packed full of information you can see uh, the whole agenda build your own agenda speakers a sponsors exhibitors area please go and visit that it's a virtual exhibition all of the sponsors and exhibitors have their entries and you can contact them crucially is the network tool that's where you can see who else is joining and uh, message them uh, make contacts request meetings I told the uh, audience yesterday that we were absolutely delighted to have 330 attendees from six countries, 33 countries, representing all dimensions of the cold chain, including our biggest ever participation of shippers and BCOs. Um, actually, now we today, as today, we have 350 uh, participa participants. One of the learning points for us is that. Um, people continue to register as virtual events are taking place. What we do know um, is that not everybody will be able to attend every session because now we're dealing with multiple time zones. So just a reminder um, for those attending and for your colleagues who might not be able to come online that all of these sessions will be available same day uh, with a full recording, both of uh, everything that's said and all of the material presented. Um, on the platform as well, we know that you know this is the world of tech and sometimes technology has glitches. Um, you will find at the bottom a how-to button which has a number of uh, short videos just to guide you around the system in case you're having any difficulties. And the help desk is also there available to help you with technical and other queries and make sure you can get the best online experience from your attendance. We have a number of polls running and we'd love it if you take part. And perhaps crucially for these sessions, the interaction between the panel, we have our questions button right at the top in the middle of your screen. So please do join us, put in your comments and your questions. We have all the experts lined up, but all of you in the audience are also holding great expertise. One of the hallmarks of Cool Logistics has always been the interaction between the audience and the panel and the exchange of knowledge and information and the building of business networks. As best we can, we want to keep facilitating that in the virtual world. And the great way to do that is through asking questions, but also joining us in the networking breaks and network sessions. Those sessions are open so people can come in and talk. Um, 
so please do do that. And on that note, um, I've been asked to also point out, we have a leaderboard here, which uh, gives some feedback on who's been participating most actively uh, during the event. So, um, and each day there's a prize of a free, free place at the next call logistics. So I would like to acknowledge, thank, uh, and announce the winner of yesterday's leaderboard as John Trenchard. So John, hoping you can join us, but you have a free place at our next call logistics. Have a look at the leaderboard and you can see who's been active. The engagement levels have been high. I'd also like to acknowledge and thank um, all of the people who took part in our second Call Logistics Innovation Award. We had a small online ceremony to announce the winner last night. Uh, they're also with us as delegates. So really pleased to announce that uh, DFARM, uh, which is a technology initiative, was the winner of this year's award with Hemdal as highly commended. And for those of you who don't know, DFARM is um, bringing together blockchain, IoT, big data, and analytics to create a more cohesive um, supply chain information flow for agricultural supply chains, particularly connecting small farmers to market. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about those initiatives today when we look at, as Emil said, the acceleration of certain trends, not least digitalization. We'll be back with uh, further housekeeping announcements um, during the event. Um, the team is on hand to support you. And as I said, we are just so grateful that you could all be with us. Uh, I'd like to very much thank our opening panel this morning, who I think is going to address some of the issues around the disruption that COVID has caused to particularly container, containerized cold chain flows during this year. So again, thank you for joining us. Please participate with questions and comments. Join us for networking breaks where we can all talk with each other and we wish you a very productive and fun event. So I'm slightly ahead of time, but I think I've said everything that needs to be said at the moment, and I want to give the floor to the experts here. So I'm really delighted, thank you gentlemen, to be joined by um, senior experts in the industry, a number of whom are very kindly supported Cool Logistics in our live version for many years now. And I think it's a chance to dive into, you know, what's been happening and what's the path forwards. But I'm going to give the floor now uh, with a great welcome and thanks to Olishak Pettersson, who is our moderator this morning and will also be making some comments. Oli has a long and distinguished career in uh, cool logistics uh, with a number of major groups. And we are absolutely delighted and thank you, Oli, that you could come back and take part and lead the session this morning. The floor is yours. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> my pleasure and uh, thank you for having me. Um, I think we all uh, realize that we are in, in the midst of uh, something uh, uh, enormous that we don't really know the end of. Um, <clears throat> but I have to say that um, adding it all up, I'm somewhat uh, positively surprised that uh, everything seems to actually be uh, flowing uh, 
normal, uh, despite uh, the difficulties of not being able to travel, meet, uh, as well as engage uh, physically. Um, this is obviously this uh, occasion here is, is 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 a proof of that. Um, let me uh, start by introducing the uh, topic that we want to uh, focus on uh, this morning, and which is uh, basically what uh, has happened since we met uh, one year ago, uh, and 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 despite or because of the COVID, uh, everything seems to be uh, uh, moving. Uh, but let's uh, dig into that and to see uh, what is the status of the trade and what uh, has happened since we met and what has, of course, uh, particularly happened uh, on the back of the COVID-19. So uh, let me start by introducing Philip Ray, a long-time uh, uh, employee of C-Trade, uh, uh, the C-Trade Group, uh, now with uh, Drury uh, Consulting, and he will uh, dive us into the numbers and the statistics and also uh, possibly looking a little bit ahead, uh, but uh, over to you, uh, Philip. Philip, you need to unmute your mic, please. Okay, about that, the glitches, you forget to unmute. Well, again, uh, thank you, Ole, Phil, and the rest of the panel. Um, indeed, it's uh, exciting pandemic times uh, for all of us. Um, I think uh, we will go straight to our uh, day. And I will just sure that I have this on fully. There we go. So I hope you can all uh, see and uh, we want to talk a little bit today about um, what's happened in the past and what uh, the future is uh, bringing uh, for us. So um, let me see, how do we move this? Uh, can you see the arrows at the bottom of the screen, Philip? Yeah, there we go. Right. Can everybody see the slide, I hope? I can't. Anyway, I think uh, we're going to go and see here my one, just one second. Can't see the screen. There we go. So we're going to talk about a little bit uh, what we, um, we bring our information from the Reefer 2020 Jewelry Report. We'll talk about a little bit about the Reefer trade development. Of course, everybody will talk about that also today. Uh, the motor share. Reefer shipping capacity, particularly on the specialized uh, freight and charter developments. And uh, later on, of course, we will go on the conclusion panel. So 
let's go straight into matters at hand. So, uh, reefer trade, in fact, slowed down a little bit in 2019, uh, but of course, the forecast to recover and is, we've all seen it, is weathering the COVID economic storm uh, rather well, at least better than the Tricargo trade. So, that is, uh, that is good news for all the people in the industry. Now, um, what do we see here? In, in this chart, we're seeing the, the traditional volume of reefer trade over the last uh, couple of years and uh, towards, uh, towards the future. So in the bars, we can see the total volume and uh, the colored colors down there are, of course, the different uh, quantities. Um, meat is, is today number one. The 2019 uh, total seaborne trade reached 135 million tons and um, is expected to grow. And we can see here that the shaded area is the forecast period. We expect things to, to continue growing and uh, at an annual rate of about 3.7% in 2024, pretty much outpacing the, the dry cargo growth. Uh, what, is, what does this mean? This means that uh, 56 million tons expected is seaborne 2024. Um, and, and of course, that, that is a, a good great, uh, rate of growth, better than the 2.2 of uh, the dry cargo. And um, yeah, uh, obviously, because the trade is growing, we don't expect a huge bounce back either compared to the dry cargo that is expected to bounce back after, after what's going on right now. Um, so this is a little bit the panorama, 130 million tons uh, 2019, 156 and growth uh, towards uh, the future. Asia, here we can see clearly how over the last 10 years, uh, trade has shifted strongly. And um, it, it's obvious that with uh, Asia now accounting for close to 40% of the reefer trade imports. Um, Europe has, has gone down from a 36% to 27%. So uh, clearly those developing countries are the ones uh, growing faster. Uh, doesn't mean that the others are not growing, but they're growing at a much uh, slower pace. So again, you can see clearly Asia is the focus of reefer cargoes. So that's, I think, very important to, to see and how that has, has changed. Now, uh, when it comes to the model shares, uh, that's always something that uh, intrigues uh, everybody. And uh, we, we can see now uh, from this chart, which again is the, the same 130.5 million tons carried in 2019. Okay, The blue is representing the containers containerized volume. The gray is, of course, the uh, specialized. Um, the brown line is representing the, the, the percentage change. So uh, that we see how the percentage change of the containerized is going and the green percentage, uh, let's say, growth or decline, rather, in the, in the specialized. So in 2019, 87% of total traffic was containerized. Uh, balance, 30% is specialized. And um, Tons that 113 million versus 17 million for, for the specialized. So 
expectation is a uh, forecast period specialized uh, contracting at about 7% uh, annually. As containerized, we'll expand 5%. That is, of course, part of the conversion uh, of uh, one to, to the other. So overall, expectation is that by 2024, around 144 million tons of containerized cargo, um, just over 92%, and the balance 8%, 12 million with specialized uh, reefers. So now, what is uh, the capacity? Specialized reefer capacities continues to decline, of course. Um, although the reefer capacity is, is pretty abundant, it, it all, of course, certain particular routes that uh, that is not the case, but overall, it is it is abundant. So let's look a little bit at the specialized. The specialized fleet, as as we all know, measure unit of measure is cubic uh, feet, and uh, this chart shows here the blue. Uh, is, is showing the, the cubics of under deck capacity, which is which is the way we normally measure in that industry. And um, 2020, around 178 million cubic feet of capacity, vessels above 100,000 cube. And um, we can see also very, very little uh, new build activity. And um, uh, of course, below the zero, we can see the deletions uh, year on year that are, that are expected. And therefore, within uh, that, we, we see the decline and expect that by 2024, roughly 137 million cubic feet uh, will, will remain. With the gray portion pretty much unaltered because a lot of the modern ships, of course, have, um, have container capacity. So uh, we see how is going down a little bit of new build not a lot some specific vessels uh, being built but overall uh, not uh, too much there so th th this is a situation with the fleet specialized uh, fleet now um just a quick uh, look at uh situation Philip, i'm with, sorry uh, can i can i interrupt you i'm so sorry no it's okay uh, sorry to interrupt you. We're having lots of questions from delegates saying they cannot see the details on the slides. I just want to tell everyone, if you hover your mouse in between the slides and the camera, you will be able to drag the slides to be larger. I know they are very detailed. We will be issuing them out again afterwards, but everybody is listening intently and very keen to see the detail. So I hope that clarifies it. There is an imaginary line between the top of the slide and the bottom of the camera view you can pull it up and down so you can see the slides in larger scale. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Philip. Thank you. No problem, no problem. Well, we, we can't see it, I'll tell you about it. And um, basically, of course, the reefer trade is uh, very imbalanced, uh, seasonal in, uh, in many cases, and therefore uh, the trade are challenged by, by this uh, imbalance. And here we, we and see that on average the estimation is that of every 10 containers uh, loaded uh, anywhere, eight have come in empty. So that's uh, that's quite a, a big uh, balance. South America, of course, uh, one of the biggest. Uh, Europe, reasonably balanced, uh, as we saw more exports out of Europe also. Asia, of course, receiving so much cargo, uh, there is uh, there's quite an overflow of, uh, of refurbishment. So this is uh, the, the situation with imbalance. And um, 
Now, when it comes to uh, rates, uh, okay, uh, when it comes to the charter rates for the specialized, there's not a lot of uh, business, uh, so it's, it's, it's very muted, uh, not a lot going on, very much private terms. So what we're going to see here is um, the Drury Global Reefer Container Freight Index. Um, and uh, we, we can see the last two years, uh, basically 2018, 2019, uh, not a huge um, difference, rates are reasonably stagnant here and there, but uh, obviously whilst uh, everybody prepared for the famous IMO 2020, which now seems to be like uh, history, uh, nearly confined to history books, at least from a, from a freight, uh, let's say no, from a fuel cost perspective. Um, but here we can see the, the blue is, is of course the, the, the freight and uh, little variation the last uh, couple of quarters uh, before end of last year. But we see uh, upward trend, uh, first the fuel, then the imbalances and those, uh, those boxes that got stuck. But we see a continuous lacking of, uh, there's a drag behind in terms of uh, availability. Of course, it was less uh, containers being built uh, some years ago, 2016 uh, uh, specifically. So obviously, uh, the container capacity in terms of equipment is playing catch up. And, and we expect that to continue to, uh, to, let's say, put pressure and make the freight rates go a little bit north, as, as, as we see in, the, in this index. We will have to see how the next uh, quarters uh, progress. So this is a little bit uh, what we, uh, we've seen. Um, I will summarize quickly Seaborne reefer trade seems to be doing better than dry cargo right now. Reefer traffic forecasts to grow, uh, 3.7% around uh, to 2024. Asia, the biggest reefer market, specialized reefers continue to lose market share. Auto shift is accelerating, of course, the growth in the container and is outpacing dry cargo. Equipment availability forecasts tight imbalanced naturally and um, we believe that uh, with all this demand tight container equipment the freight rates may be strengthening in uh, in the future so this is what we have for today today in terms of our presentation thank you very much thank you very much to the insights start off the day we're sorry if you had not uh, a notice that you could actually enlarge your your enlarge your slides, um, but they are available now if you want to look further into into the numbers. Um, so, uh, with that said, I will then um, pass on the word to a another rather long-term veteran in the reefer industry, uh, Thomas Eskisen. Uh, many years working for Maersk and Maersk Group as such, and uh, in his last uh, uh, 10 years or more, uh, a little more than that, I think, uh, heading up uh, Merck Reefer. Um, so with, with that said, uh, Thomas, uh, I hand over to you uh, and your uh, presentation. It's great, uh, it's great to be back in this, uh, even though it's a virtual environment. Uh, thanks a lot for, for the organizers to 
to stay uh, true to the concept at least uh, ever uh, meet uh, once a year i think it is uh, tremendously important that we, we take time to to reflect and and, and learn uh, as an industry and um, i took the chance i put together uh, seven slides on, on some observation on, on, on sort of how uh, how we see uh, 2020 and, and, and some a little bit of crystal ball uh, but before going into the uh, the meat and potatoes, so to speak, uh, I thought it was interesting just to look at the key highlights from from last year's cool logistics, because uh, even though it's only 12 months ago, it seems like uh, it's a decade ago. And there were really uh, there were there were four things that that uh, were the key topics in, in in my view at least. Number one was uh, uh, the industry had to convert from high sulfur to low sulfur and be IMO compliant. Um, that uh, issue was the only issue almost in, in terms of uh, how it could uh, uh, change the industry also financially. Uh, there were cost uh, bills reported in the $20 billion range and uh, basically doomsday scenario that the shipping lines would really be in trouble, let alone the conventional sector that Philip represented uh, so well uh, would, would basically disappear because of low sulfur. Um, Obviously, fast forward 12 months, that has not happened. Uh, so, of course, uh, uh, as, as the audience are listening, always a word of caution to, to wise people here because we, we tend to get things wrong uh, at times. There were three uh, or two other elements, I think, uh, that, that we talked about last year. Number one was that the, the impact of the uh, African swine fever in China could have on global business. We, we, we warn people, even if you're a banana importer in the US, you could actually be impacted by the swine fever simply because there would be massive shortages of equipment and so on and so And that was really the last uh, sort of uh, major point was brace out if you're a shipper, uh, make sure you, you log in supply and equipment because there could be shortages. Those were sort of the four key points going into this. If, if we look at, at um, what has happened this year, um, put together uh, some, some data that shows how the reefer trade has performed this year. We, we can see on, on the orange bar that is largely speaking, months on months, been a growth story with a little bit of fluctuation, but by and large, uh, reefers have moved very well. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the stuff with negative uh, growth is uh, the, the dry container markets and the air cargo market, which have gone through massive challenges. And now the smart observer may say, well, that means everybody doing reefers are great and, and the, the dry cargo container are, are in trouble. Actually, the, the almost the reverse has happened because we have to remember when we're dealing with global shipping and assets, uh, it's all about managing bottlenecks. And, and the dry cargo sector has been affected by a number of bank savings, port disruptions, etc. Uh, and the shipping lines pulled back when they saw that huge drop in the middle of the year, so to speak, on, on, on dry cargo. Since then, we have seen a, a, a massive rebound, and uh, that means there's been shortage of, of containers, dry containers around the world, basically in Asia. Uh, there's stock imports around the world, and the prices have come up on dry transportation. Some, some places, facts are free, which now means that, in spite of all odds, the container uh, lines are printing cash, as we speak, probably the best quarter on record will be what we see in Q3. Uh, so that is against all the odds, but again, it comes back to managing uh, bottlenecks and so on. If we then take a look, at, a more detailed look at, at uh, why the reefer trade has been pretty resilient at a, at a global level, um, there's been a lot of plus and minuses. 
for those who have been in the sector for many years, this is quite familiar chart. Um, always very, very unpredictable. What is it that will happen when we are dealing with stuff that are dependent on Mother Nature? Um, lastly speaking, I would say the, 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 the fruit from the Southern Hemisphere has been fairly robust, which is always great because that's not a local uh, consumption market. So when you have a good harvest, you tend to ship that. So we were seeing that in the data. Um, uh, but but all the plus and minuses, of course, makes it super, super difficult to be equipment planners in, in shipping lines when you also have to deal with blank sailings. So uh, at least in our work with clients, we have seen a lot of, uh, of, of, of fear on the shipper level saying, where are the containers? How come these uh, shipping lines can't figure out how to plan? And to a last degree, this has given a second win to the conventional sector. They've been able to bail out uh, the container shortages in, in the Southern Hemisphere. If we take a further uh, step at, at what has happened more on sort of a regional level, the big story by none is China. Uh, China is now uh, the world's largest uh, importing country of uh, refrigerated cargo. They've seen a growth of uh, over 40% this year. Uh, for those who paid attention at Cool Logistics last year, uh, I'm happy to say that that was actually in the cards. Uh, uh, China lost, depending on what source you're dealing with, uh, up to 18 million tons of, uh, of pork. Uh, so, so they've had to scramble to see if they could make up for that. And, and we have seen beneficiaries uh, pretty much all over the place, uh, but it's important to, to consider when you're dealing with shipping that some of these markets that have benefited, like the US, uh, Brazil, Spain, are relatively long haul transit times. That means that the equipment is tied up longer, generally moving from a so-called deficit area of equipment to into a surplus area of equipment. That's the worst nightmare you can have as an equipment planner. So you're seeing the assets tied up longer, and that again contributes to potential shortages of equipment. And of course, if the shipping lines have been smart, price increases, they increase as well. One step further into the China story, um, uh, now with the real data where you can actually see China has succeeded in, in picking up more pork, but they've also been forced to uh, purchase other uh, commodities like, like poultry and, and, and beef and so on. Um, and and uh, of course, a big challenge we have ahead of us as an industry is how long is this going to continue? When will China's own pork production be back? Uh, to, to usual levels, uh, and there, there are definitely two schools of that. Uh, if you are in the, in the community itself, you think it may be still another two, three years before they're back. Others may politically say, well, they'll be back already next year. I think the true story is probably somewhere in between, so we, we should expect China still to drive a significant amount of, of, uh, of protein imports in, in, the, in the next coming years. If we, um, if we look at what happened to all the equipment, that's sort of the most popular question, I think, uh, if, we, uh, if we made a survey over the last 10 years, uh, people always asking, where are the containers? Uh, so I took the liberty of, uh, of updating the 10-year the, the, the picture on, on, uh, on equipment manufacturing. And, and what we are projecting for this year is a fairly robust number of about 290,000 TU of new equipment for international marine transport. That is fairly favorable number. It's second highest in, 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 the, in the period here on the chart. 
So does that mean there's enough equipment for everybody? Not really, uh, because we have to keep in mind that uh, uh, equipment uh, has a certain lifespan of between 10 to 15 years, uh, probably depending on where it's been used. Uh, so we have we deal with this thing called outfleet, and and if you take out the outfleet with the, the scrapped equipment, then uh, our estimation is that we're seeing a net feed injection this year of between three to four percent. Now that figure is actually very consistent with the with the global trade growth, but then if we then factor in we have longer uh, lead times on equipment is tied up longer, then actually we're going slightly backwards. But I mean, really big credit to our friends in China. They've been able to get production back on track in spite of a really, really tough Q1 where we had massive closures and we basically couldn't see anything. Uh, we are up to a point now where China can produce. There's full, they're firing full cylinders, but there's actually waiting time uh, to, to get new equipment out there. There are delays in machinery. And, and, and if you don't have your orders locked in already, you, you may uh, see a situation where you can only get new equipment back uh, after Easter. So uh, just uh, uh, summarizing uh, uh, our thoughts and observations, uh, yes, uh, Reefers has been uh, very resilient and, and COVID resilient, but it's principally a China story. If you deduct the China demand uh, from the equation, we actually seeing a slightly decline in global volumes. So imagine if we had had no COVID and still China buying pork, we would really have had a meltdown in terms of availability of equipment. Um, overall, uh, uh, we have seen a tremendous stress on the uh, on the cold chain assets, which has been great if you're in that business. So if you're a leasing company, if you're a cold storage company, and if you're shipping line with the right equipment, if you're a conventional receiver, it's been great. Prices have come up. That means higher transportation costs for our customers. And I have to say, as an independent advisor, it has not been a big issue this year. Uh, I would say the main issue has been to ensure uh, supply chain delivery and co-chain compliance. That has proven to be far more important than trying to squeeze in uh, a supplier on $50. Of course, part of the issue is that in the, in the protein industry, prices have come up overall, commodity prices. So that means people can actually share uh, a little bit of the profitability. But generally speaking, this year has been an, a, a year of higher transportation costs for, for all. And I think actually it, it, it's been beneficial when we look at investment appetite in long years. Inside the segment, lots of changes. Uh, we all know that as consumers, we don't eat in restaurants as much. We don't eat in, uh, in airports as much as we did or cruise ships. So we're consuming differently. It's quite natural. It's on uh, internet shopping and supermarkets. Uh, and battleground for consumers and the customers have changed dramatically. We see new entrants here that we didn't see before. And uh, I think we can expect more of that. And last but not least, uh, this segment is, is still incredible. The amount of inquiries we're getting in, in, in our little business in terms of where do you invest? How do you get skin in the game in, in, in the vaccine business, for example? How do you invest in telematics and so on? So there's still a significant interest in this. Uh, and, and I think that's, uh, that's really uh, echoing actually what Philip just said here. This is a positive environment we're in. And, and uh, even with consolidation we're seeing yesterday, somebody caught a check of 1.6 billion to buy a cold storage company called Acro. 
uh, there's still room also for smaller players in this. So with those uh, comments, I'll turn it back to you, Ole. Thank you very much, Thomas. Great insight. Definitely, uh, China uh, has played an important role here uh, in, in more than one way. And I'm sure that we're going to get back to that in our Q&A session. Um, uh, what that will uh, have of impact uh, for us uh, going forward the next couple of years and uh, in order to try and meet uh, Philip's expectations for for uh, continued growth over the next uh, three to four years. That said, um, I will introduce uh, Bruce Marshall, uh, recently uh, appointed as uh, MERSC uh, and the MERSC Group's uh, head of reefers. Uh, which basically means that uh, now all the brands are under his uh, uh, demand and, and command. Um, uh, Bruce has a long uh, career inside Mersk, uh, and uh, we welcome him to this uh, new uh, for him environment. Uh, so, without further ado, uh, I hand over to you, Bruce, to give us a bit of an insight of what really then happened when. Uh, when you hit the ground and the world closed down on all of us. Thank you, Ola, and thank you to the other gents as well who have presented so far. Um, first off, yes, it's my first cool logistics, so, uh, so we're doing it virtually, but uh, the world has changed, now we, we, we adapt. Um, I mean, the reefer community is a very passionate one and something that's been, uh, that's been super good to be part of it. I'm almost 18 years in MISC, uh, been around uh, various jobs and roles, um, and this is super exciting, and uh, there's so many things happening in this space. So uh, yeah, super, super exciting to be here. So yes, um, the colleagues, uh, Philip and Thomas, have given a good perspective and a good, um, uh, a good context. Um, and then I thought it was a good idea to rather go into some of the challenges that we've had to face to um, to deliver um, to deliver in this period. So um, I mean, going back, thinking about uh, thinking about when I started in the role earlier this year. Uh, COVID, COVID started and uh, the first inklings of a challenge in China when boxes started to be uh, held up in, in three of the main ports in China. Um, that was probably the first, uh, the first uh, realization of how big this problem could become. And when we thought we had fixed the China thing, we had fixed, okay, we've got it under control, we kind of understand how things are flowing and things are moving. The pandemic then became a real pandemic or moved across the world and uh, subsequent to then there's been various challenges and uh, and that's that's where i'll take you through at least at least our perspective from a carrier uh, a carrier perspective so i'll split it into three into three lots um the vessel and the terminal to talk about more from an ocean perspective uh, we'll talk about a little bit on the equipment but uh, thomas and, and philip have given a good perspective there already but i'll just contribute with a couple of points there and then finally, some of the landslide challenges that we've had to face uh, to, to deliver. So look, looking at it from a vessel, a vessel and voyage perspective, there was the humanitarian aspect to start with. I mean, we had colleagues stuck on vessels for months. Um, recently, we've had a, a colleague who just got off a ship after 240 days straight. Um, these excessive time on a vessel. Um, and, and the crew stuck to the guns. They continued to lift, continued to deliver. So and we're very, very thankful for them. Um, I mean, the global, the global fleet and the way the sailors and the seamen stuck to, to, the, uh, to the task at hand was, was outstanding. But with that came, there were crew illnesses. And um, when we had a crew illness, you could see that uh, 
this, this, the disruption to the uh, vessel schedule and hence the getting cargo to where it needs to be at the right time became a challenge. Um, with authorities in most locations refusing entrance uh, if you had a sick passenger on board. Um, these, these also then, there were also then restrictions in certain countries where they would argue that you need to have a 14-day period between one port to the next port. So that also started to impact our schedule availability. And then finally, ports and terminals having lower, lower gangs, lower productivity, and of course, sometimes closed. Particularly when countries went into initial lockdown position, it was not clear in a lot of the countries what that meant. So um, taking some of our key, key locations, that meant that it mean that everybody stayed at home, that it mean there was partial staff to come into work. The reality that uncertainty created a bit of challenge, at least for the first two, three weeks in each of the countries as, as we went along. Now, uh, Thomas is, uh, fully echo Thomas's comments about the network stability. Um, the reality is dry demand uh, dropped fast. As a consequence, sailing vessels with only uh, sailing vessels empty or, or uh, underutilized, of course, result in, in the shipping lines taking different actions. And that impacts our position, our position to reef, uh, sorry, our ability to position reefer containers in the right place to meet our demand curves. Um, those, those disruptions uh, created a lot of challenges for us initially. When, when the network that we usually relied on to position our containers uh, to prepare for seasons was just simply not there. From one day to the next, it was gone. What we then did, uh, what we then had to do to react was, of course, uh, do some extra loaders and simply just empty reefer, empty reefer boxes on a container ship to go wherever it needs to go. Uh, not, not particularly great when it comes to the cost aspect, but a reality that we needed to face up to. Um, we then moved into, into PTI challenges, so pre-trip inspections. Um, simply getting the boxes ready for shipment also became a, a challenge. Um, depots, uh, depots and, and the staff at the depots were not coming to work, so hence we didn't have the ability to do the necessary maintenance and repairs and get the containers ready. And then lastly, um, landside challenges and, and a lot of our customers, this is where I spent a lot of time with customers around this perspective and this point in particular, fixing from farm to terminal or pack house to terminal. These issues of just getting truckers to be able to move the cargo around once again due to the uncertainty around lockdowns, could staff report to work, will they be allowed to work, will they be allowed to drive, amongst other things. Um, the depots are highlighted earlier, and then in some countries, customs and, um, and local authorities uh, required for the different commodities. There also, we also had some uh, downtime in those, those as well. Um, a lot of lobbying from the local colleagues where we uh, tried to relax certain requirements if, if necessary. Um, Admittedly, a lot of the uh, a lot of the governments and the larger the larger government authorities were supporting the case. Um, it wasn't a case that uh, we were left to to fight uh, to fight a case that we couldn't a battle that we couldn't win. But rather, authorities within 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 reason were quite supportive in, in in driving that sort of discussion and making it more easier for cargo to flow. The biggest one was this essential services tag. Um, when, when food security was highlighted by a lot of governments, um, most authorities then obviously linked perishable produce or perishable cargo with a uh, essential tag. So, 
taking it now to a um, commodity view. So just to just to give a bit of a flavour of how we see uh, how we see things shaping up from a um, each commodity. Now, some of the commodities are better than others, and and as uh, Thomas uh, mentioned earlier, the restaurant industry, entertainment industry, these have been quite severely impacted. So we can see a, a shifting demand pattern. So if you look at the uh, on the far left, you start with the fruit and veg. Um, Health, the healthy benefit sentiment definitely uh, drove demand, and that was everywhere. Um, certain certain uh, certain um, produce was particularly uh, particularly in demand. Uh, citrus with the vitamin C vitamin C content and the associated benefits was the one that really really drove um, a, a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the movement of cargo. Um, that did mean that uh, when bananas and pines, because that was where we first saw the real impact of of equipment being stuck in China. And not being able to get to West Coast South America for the Ecuador exports, we saw a bit of a disruptive demand picture because we couldn't com complete the export as planned. And by the time some of the, the, the peak bananas started moving into Europe, that we started uh, citrus and other commodities um, started um, started coming into into the market as well. So consumers were more, or at least our view on the matter was, consumers were more pushed towards the the vitamin C or demanding more the, the vitamin C type, type produce. Protein and dairy, uh, African swine fever. My apologies in the error there. African swine fever. Yes, that that continues, um, and and uh, recent outbreaks in uh, in Germany as well is is a concern for us. Um, high end beef. So we're talking restaurant levels was down, the, the, particularly into the US, um, and in the US within the US. But um, once again, echoing uh, echoing um, Thomas's slides. Uh, into into China, it's the, the, it's a China story. It's uh, it's phenomenal. Fish and seafood. Um, we've seen a reduced uh, Typically, uh, seafood, fish and seafood is much more linked towards the uh, the restaurant or entertainment industry, um, and we can see that been particularly down. But uh, in recent in recent months, we can see that starting to bounce back. So that's positive. And of course, the farm and healthcare story. Um, strong initial demand for PPE and and, and the like. And right now, vaccine supply making headlines with uh, with with Boeing, uh, with many many Boeings planned. Um, at least the, the current discussion, at least around that. Um, interestingly enough, um, uh, it's it's clear that's going to be a multimodal solution. It's not just going to be a a solution or a C solution. I think that's that's something that's becoming more and more accepted in in those circles. Now, switching to to my last slide is just talking about some. Some trends and some things that we've we've seen uh, that we think COVID has accelerated, um, and and that we think they're here to stay. The first one is this uh, this need for data or demand for data or transparency and being able to use that data to drive um, the right decisions and be proactive rather than reactive. Um, it's as simple as knowing where my container is to as complex as saying what do my demand patterns suggest. And how am I going to deliver on the next trend, the acceleration of ecom? Um, a lot of our a lot of our customers are starting to ask us, "What is how can how can we how can we support this?" Because ecom the ecom trend drives the consumer to do smaller purchases more often, so that the impact to our industry becomes flow. How do we make sure that there's a consistent flow of produce or product uh, to where it needs to be? Growth rate of the growth rate of the of the cold chain industry uh, end to end, uh, we see that growing faster than it has in the past. 
uh, underlined simply by this concept of, of, uh, of increased government uh, concerns around food securities. Um, so we, that, that trend we've seen particularly, in, uh, particularly high uh, in, in the press coverage of late and, uh, and speaking to customers, they, they're more and more concerned about maintaining temperature throughout the supply chain. And, and, that, and that, of course, introduces the last one. Oh, the second last one is about increased outsourcing. And we're talking here about the, the transport and logistics of the operation. The, our growers and our customers are particularly uh, focused on, on, uh, on their produce. And these logistics headaches have become more and more, more, and more uh, profound, particularly with COVID. So we're seeing that uh, there's, there's much more uh, understanding, much more uh, belief that, that, of course, customers are needing these, these uh, logistics wizards, if you must call it that, to come up with plans of how to overcome the barriers and obstacles that they face. And the last one, supply chain resilience. Um, there will be, the, 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 the position here is how do we make sure that there's sufficient resilience but without creating a ton of redundancy. Um, I think, I think uh, this will come down to operationally as much as contractually. How do we start getting a framework in place that better supports the flows, better supports uh, pandemics and the impacts of them so that, uh, that, that the supply chain is more, um, is more resilient and can maintain some of these shocks. So that's, that's what I had today. Um, uh, Ola, I'll hand it back to you. And then I guess uh, interested for questions later. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for those insights. And uh, it's always uh, interesting to hear from someone uh, that is uh, actually live in the business uh, with ships and the whole uh, shebang needing to move it around and get it moved around. Uh, that's where the, where the action hits, uh, hits reality. Um, it has always been said that a crisis is uh, accelerating the changes that are happening. And I'm sure that uh, this is what we're also seeing right now, uh, uh, certainly in, in Maersk, but also around the world. Um, I have asked uh, Frank Ganser from uh, Kühner Nagel to, uh, to uh, participate here on the panel uh, to give us his uh, uh, viewpoints from, uh, from, 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 from the Kühner Nagel side, being, let's say, an independent uh, Four and one of the very last ones, uh, which is also involved in Reefer, obviously not just in Reefer, but give uh, their perspective and his perspective of uh, what is happening in the world around him and what he sees of uh, changes happening. A little bit also trying to sum up uh, on the presentations that we have seen so far, so that we can actually uh, move on to the to the to the questions that are coming in, uh, which is very very nice. So Frank, without uh, further ado, uh, I hand over the word to you to to focus your speech in the next uh, seven eight minutes, uh, leaving uh, everyone for half an hour of Q and A session. So the word is yours. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Ole. You can hear me. Everybody can hear me. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, first of all, uh, really congratulations to to the three speakers. I think they did a fantastic job in summarizing the uh, reefer environment and what is happening. They uh, really straight to the point. I mean, at the end of the day, I could not add anything else because I fully 100% agree with all what has been presented here uh, in, a, in a very professional manner. 
So, I mean, and uh, Ole, I, I like you saying um, as, as a kind of independent, uh, uh, let's say, party here. So we have observed exactly all this, what has been, been said in these uh, presentations. And um, um, I mean, uh, one thing came into my mind. If you see that Mars Line today as the largest for operator on Earth, reefer container operator globally already had all these massive challenges even on the pti side yeah uh, the repositioning challenges then we all may uh, may understand kind of challenges all the other carriers had yeah uh, being much smaller uh, seeing let's say you have two uh, three major major reefer container carriers but you have also reefer container carriers uh, where this business has not the same importance like uh, for instance it has for Mars. so uh, and um, uh, thomas he said uh, uh, very professionally i mean we had four um, uh, let's say topics to deal with and i still remember discussion in Valencia when we all predicted this uh, reefer shortage coming up in 20, 2010, 20 and already in Q4 2019. And exactly, exactly this happened. So, and what kind um, of impact has it in regards to, 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 to increasing rates? I think that also Philip showed it very nicely. So, I would say that in 2020, Q4 last year already, we have seen uh, the first time since long, long time, since many, many years, let's say rate levels coming back uh, to, to uh, let's say healthy, healthy levels also for the industry. I mean, um, we spoke about average rates here, but I mean, if you look a little bit more into the details, and also this has been said very clearly, on the main trade lanes from Latin uh, to uh, into North Europe, into um, Asia, and especially all the trade from, from Europe into Asia, we have seen rates um, which went up by uh, over 1,000 US dollar. So, and when the, um, uh, when the COVID-19 um, congestion uh, started uh, to become a real challenge um, in uh, Q1, as, uh, as also mentioned by my, my predecessors here, um, so it was a huge, 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 huge uh, challenge uh, to guarantee the supply chain for many customers in, uh, here in Europe and uh, also in, uh, in South America. So we have basically seen, and this was really amazing, spot rates from Europe to Asia going up to seven, eight thousand US dollar for certain commodities. Yeah, you had to pay this money in order to get it. And uh, I fully agree, the main challenge in our industry stays the reefer equipment uh, availability. And basically, um, coming back to Philip's presentation, seeing that, uh, let's say, um, uh, the China is absorbing these huge, huge of containers. And I would say, uh, Philip, you said in your presentation, Europe is um, minus 5% imbalanced. I think it's might be even slightly higher, but it's going into a direction where it's uh, uh, where it might reach the two digit percentage number. So, and uh, um, we also talked about blank savings and uh, Bruce uh, pretty much uh, describe the way how they are repositioning containers. In the past, container positionings have been done 
in the regular trade, which is almost due to all the blank sailing uh, programs and not possible any longer. So if you see that the natural repositioning trade lane uh, has been basically from Asia into South America or from Asia back into Europe, so uh, lines are really, really struggling, struggling uh, to get their empty containers back on board because the, the ships are full. Ships are completely full with dry cargo. So, and this is one of the major challenges. What do we have to do with our customers? And I think that's uh, uh, very important. We have to sensibilize. We have to sensibilize. And this is what we have done already since beginning of 2019, that this reefer shortage is here to stay and not only to stay for 12 months or for a short period of time, it's here to stay for at least next three to four years in my opinion, depending on the further investments which are being done by the lines, also depending on certain um, uh, things that might happen. Recently, we had, unfortunately, uh, the uh, African swine flu also here in Germany. Germany is, uh, I think, was number four uh, in, the, in the ranking when it comes to, to pork meat exports globally. So, I mean, this remains to be seen if this ASF, for instance, might also affect uh, Denmark, might also affect Holland, uh, uh, France, or these incidents we cannot really foresee. Yeah. So I also expected the ASF to, to, to come much, much earlier to Germany because we have Holland since approximately two or two and a half years. And I was very much surprised that it took so long until we found the first cases here. So definitely, um, to answer your first question, customers, shippers, we all have to deal with, uh, with increasing uh, uh, reefer rates and very much also to the surprise of many players, even during the slack a season here in, uh, uh, let's say, Q3 and end of Q2, which is basically the slack season, uh, reefer season in Europe, carers were very strict and did not really uh, come up with uh, lower rates. They kept basically the rates on a level, which is, in my opinion, for the industry and which is also important for the shippers yeah, in order to uh, ensure that uh, the industry will further invest in, uh, in reefer. Thank you very much, Frank. Um, if no further comments directly as just from the panel, uh, then I will uh, go on to uh, the questions. Frank, can I ask you just to mute your line? Okay, uh, and before going actually to the questions, uh, Rachel asked me to uh, read out a message that has come in uh, from Philip Eastel. Um, uh, and it's particularly to 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 Bruce and to Merskline, so I'll just read it out because it's not a it's not a question. Uh, so it's a thank you. Uh, speaking as founder of Container Shipping Supporting Seafarers, thank you, Bruce, for your kind words of thanks to seafarers on board your vessels and highlighting the tremendous efforts during the COVID pandemic, resulting in their very much extended time on board and helping to keep the global supply chain going. And I think. Uh, if we were in, in a room together now, we would give a applause to all seafarers that are still out there uh, somehow struggling. So thank you for that. Without them, uh, we would not be sitting here at all. And then I would like to go to um, a question that, that just came in from John Trenchard. 
Do you see the cargo owners are more interested now to discuss the full reefer supply chain with the shipping lines and recognize their change from concentrating on the ocean lake to more of a complete supply chain partner? And I'll give that question first to you, Bruce, and then I'll let Frank comment on it afterwards. Fantastic. Thank you. And John, thank you for the question. Um, yes, we are seeing, I mean, Musk's, uh, Musk, we, we, are, we do have a a strategy of being of being an integrator of of, of uh, container logistics, um, and we are seeing customers speak to us more and more about the end-to-end -end supply chain. So, not just looking at the port to port anymore, but asking us for solutions where we can where we can uh, support our customers uh, the full supply chain. Um, typically, they they're looking for uh, for various things, and one of the, the the big ones is this this reliability and this consistency that we're going to deliver. Uh, in line with, with what we promised. So trying to manage the, the different uh, bottlenecks or different obstacles to the supply chain and seeing how we can overcome them to, to, to unlock some more value. So I'll, I'll keep it brief at that, looking at time and, and have a hand over to Frank for, for his comments. Uh, no, yeah, uh, thank you all. Uh, I mean, uh, basically, I think the initiative Musk is doing, I fully, fully understand. Uh, uh, it's a great, great initiative they are doing for their customers. So uh, we don't uh, see it really, really as a threat. So, um, I mean, as Kuno Nago, we stepped into the reform, into the reform business approximately, let's say, 15 years ago when we became bigger. So, in a way, we also, let's say, um, uh, developed uh, a business which has been uh, highly controlled by the press at that time. So, and we have been successful over the last 15 years with the different uh, um, uh, commodities. And uh, I mean, it's fair enough that Burst, uh, uh, who is a very, very good and big partner of, uh, of us, also is, is at the end of the day really trying to expand their service offerings. I mean, and I think that's a great thing for the industry. It's really a, a great thing for the industry as such because, um, at the end of the days, uh, at the end of the day, it shows that even in a relatively niche market, let's say a company and a carrier like Musk is really willing to expand further. So I like it. I like it very much. So from our side, I can only say, and uh, Bruce said it, reliability and consistency is very, very important in this business. And this is what we are, what we are selling, what we are forming every day, what let's say 450 to 500 people, dedicated people in our network. We have to also um, respect and we have to see that besides Mars, there are still a couple of areas, not many left like maybe four or five years ago, but uh, also uh, all these other carriers uh, uh, needs, to be, needs to be managed, the refer business needs to be managed. And uh, I don't know, it might be a little bit difficult also for, uh, for, for Musk and Bruce uh, uh, to manage business, uh, let's say, with other carriers. And this is where we see our, our task, where we see our job. And uh, therefore, I stay very optimistic that also in the future, uh, we will perform a good service uh, uh, on this uh, reefer industry, even as a non-asset-driven uh, uh, company. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, uh, Frank. Uh, fully concur with those comments also from my side and being in the logistics business. Uh, but it's a good thing. Uh, competition uh, keeps us all on, on our toes. Uh, so uh, so that's uh, on, on, on that, uh, no further comment on that. I have uh, a question that I would like to actually raise to, uh, to, to you, Thomas, but it comes uh, in several. <laughs> so I will just read them out uh, as they come in. They are kind of concerned about the same thing. Um, 
Um, as the number of paying trips dropped markedly, as it's dropping, it is dropping still as the new trade patterns emerge with longer trends. So I guess that's the China uh, issue that we are that we are seeing here. Uh, and in, in connection with that, uh, also from Andy, uh, uh, is there actually sufficient equipment uh, for the specific uh, uh, trades and, and consignments, as, as he puts it there? Um, because it takes longer time to, to, to obviously to uh, reposition the equipment, again, back to what Bruce also mentioned. So is the, let's say, major change in the trading pattern between Europe, China, US, China, and so on and so forth, South America for that matter, to China, is that uh, on one hand hampering other trades and therefore uh, in terms of having uh, enough equipment and is that then also driving up uh, rates uh, going forward? We have to unmute, Thomas. All right. Okay, so that's a great question. Uh, I, I, I think what we've learned this year is that, that the assets are stretched to the very, very, very extreme limit. Uh, there's been a lot of doomsday in the past, uh, but this year it's it's been it's been for real. Part of that has been accelerated by port closures and and, and blank sailings and what have you. Uh, but it has definitely prompted that transport costs for for protein into Asia has gone up significantly. Um, and will that have an impact on on other seasonal trades? Some of them that will come into play for the 21 season. I, I definitely think so, because now if you look at, at the yield per day you can get on, 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 on frozen protein, uh, that may in the past have been seen as sort of a commodity. Now it's actually, it's nicely paying if you can factor in the terms of that. So I would think that there could be a rival effect on uh, on pricing on uh, on sort of southern hemisphere foods. It's going to be more difficult to position equipment well ahead of the curve. We already see that today. There's shortage of equipment in, in, in Europe, largely speaking. That means it's more difficult to supply, say, Caribbean or Chile, uh, well ahead of the, the curve and, and have a mountain on that. Um, I think if you add to that, then that, that there's even more choice now if you are grower around the world and you have a good crop, let's say you're in a blueberry business or you're in an avocado business, because of the container, you have so much more choice. So you can go Asia if you want, you can go Europe if you want, you can go US if you want. And there as a grower, you look at where can I make the most money? And you may make that call fairly late in the planning cycle because you can. The shipping lines are quite generous with that. Now, that's great if you're a grower, but it's actually quite complicated if, if you're shipping lines because maybe you see more containers now heading into the US East Coast where you may not want them, or you see more uh, Chilean blueberries go into Shanghai where you're anyway building your reefers and then it looks good short term, but before it comes back, it may take you 120 days or so on. So, yeah, I think uh, brace yourself for, for more of the same this year, uh, maybe even worse. Uh, this year being 21. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. maybe on the back of that, and, and, and also, uh, there's a question here about, you know, talking about the tightness of the tightness. Um, will this accelerate the trend in 
containers for better asset visibility. Yeah, thank you. Drop down a little bit. What is the question? I think you are asking: Will it accelerate the maybe purchase of more equipment or so on? Uh, uh, yeah, it, it has. It has. I mean, obviously, if you're a reefer boss around the world now, it's a lot easier conversation going to the CEO and say, "I have a capex uh, request for 21," and 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 now that they're all making money on the dry business, it's a lot easier to justify a capex investment in in hardware for reefers. So, so we've actually seen that. That's also why we've opted our prognosis for the year. We think that, that actually we'll get the second best year in a, in a decade in terms of new manufacturing. Uh, but so that's the good news. The bad news is that they're full. So even if you came today with a big bag of money, you can't get more containers. It's very, very difficult to build new containers. I think you have to get past Easter before we see an easting of that. So it is kind of what it is now. It's it's too late to sort of just inject uh, more new equipment other than for already planned. Bruce, uh, on to you. Uh, have you been able to, uh, to raise the trade uh, equipment, given the fact that you have for now several years containers, if you may? Apologies, Ole. Thomas, would you mind uh, to, mute, to mute yourself? Because we're getting a little bit of feedback. Thank you very much. Hola, do you want to just say that again, if you don't mind, please? That was yes. uh, Yeah, no, exactly. So, so have you, uh, given the fact that Merck has had, uh, let's say, smart containers for uh, several years now, have you actually been able to uh, increase the, uh, the the trips per year uh, on the reefer boxes because you are just better aware of where they are? Yes, yes. Over, over time. Um, I mean, it's 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 small increments. It's not a exponential effect, of course, eh? because uh, you still, we still rely on the physical movement of the fleet. So yes, um, being aware of the containers has, has given, or, the, or having the telematics in the containers has given us probably two or three advantages. One is um, one is knowing where they are, so we can we can uh, move them quicker and understand what what uh, where there's bottlenecks and and where there's been delays. The second one is we we have the ability to now do EPTIs or um, pre-trip inspections electronically, so we can test we can test the equipment from from uh, from afar, which allows us to move the equipment along quicker. I mean, that was one of the key things we had to do in uh, in the peak of the COVID uh, situation in Ecuador. This is what we tried and, and successfully used uh, um, for, the, for some of the banana exports. And then and then the third one, of course, is we design we're better at designing our um, vessel fleet or the container fleet. Sorry, the network, the container network. So that we are better, we're better informed of. Okay, this is. We know the flows now. We're a bit more accurate on the flows, so we can make sure both feeder connections as much as mother vessels. We're better at planning for the necessary space. This is, of course, in a normal, in a normal uh, situation. I'm not going to use current. Uh, the first nine months of this year is a normal situation by any means, but uh, but you can really see those benefits uh, last year, and I expect them to be there in the future as well. Uh so, so in the past, uh, when working in Mer in Maersk, I think the, we 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 thought at that time that the industry average was uh, somewhat below four trips a year uh, as an industry, uh, and I think we prided ourselves of being uh, better and a, a little closer to four. Uh, have you managed to uh, get above four? Almost, 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 almost. We're almost there now. Seriously, almost there. 
Uh, if, if I'm nuanced and talk about specific equipment types, yes. But uh, across the entire fleet, now we'd be still slightly below him. Okay, and uh, that, that leads me on to another question because there is obviously uh, an alternative, and I'm looking at you, Philip, because you're the you're the last one out of um, of all of us. You're the last one out of the so-called uh, conventional reefers. Um, but there's a very good question here from uh, Baratvas uh, Buyan, and I'll just read it up to you. Uh, due to the COVID, do do we see any slowdown in modal split conversion? From conventional to reefer containers, considering banana is one of the biggest segments uh, carried in conventional specialized reefer vessels. If yes, which trade lanes have performed well for conventional reefer segments given the COVID 19? Obviously, been reasonable, interesting year for specialized, with uh, everybody was predicting doom and gloom because of the high fuel price which then of course also collapsed prior to corona let's not forget the actual fuel price first collapsed because of what happened between uh, russia and and and, um, and the guys in the middle east but um obviously that uh, it and yesterday actually was posted even in the, the south africans how they thanked the, the, the allies for coming to save the party increased exports and, and at least a specialized could perform but the point is that going forward the the supply chain is very much in containers so it's very difficult to reverse that um, shippers get so much accustomed to containers containers is integral part of their their supply chain these days uh, growth particularly in certain uh, avocados where we were uh, said it's the third biggest uh, volume for the Rotterdam. And he specialized there, and for those, for that, people that are still using it, 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 it works well. Uh, for how long uh, it, it's it's becoming difficult. On, on the bananas, we, we see uh, Monte, as, as we know, converting more and more from uh, their own specialized vessels into their own container ships, meaning that uh, they keep control of the supply chain using uh, ship containers rather than uh, specialized reefer. It's, on the other hand, uh, we see full uh, carriers Baltic shipping deploying uh, these uh, new vessels, uh, the new one delivered not so long ago, for their uh, Ecuador to Russia. What, what we see is that there will be decline will continue. There's always some nuances. Those who can organize a supply chain, good insurance, but, but not everybody has that uh, ability of being able to manage specialized supply chain. And that is, an, a break on, on those options for any countries that have already ditched it years ago. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. So two two major southern hemisphere users of conventional, apart from uh, the bananas and pineapple trays, are of course uh, South Africa, and particularly when we talk about the citrus. 
and then obviously also uh, uh, some to some extent still uh, in Chile uh, to east and west coast North America. And I think particularly uh, the South African citrus industry has uh, moved somewhat back to the conventional uh, volume simply given the fact that um, there were a lot of tr trouble on one hand uh, with the equipment, but also in having uh, the container, uh, sorry, the, yes, the container vessels uh, birthing and, and, and slots availability, slot availability uh, at, at the birth uh, terminals in, in South Africa. So there, there has been some uh, movement back to uh, using conventional in some trades. I hope that uh, answers uh, your question, Ravas. And then I'd like to move on to a question uh, from CQ and uh, Frank Ruwers. Uh, he's asking, and it's also a little bit stated here on my uh, slide here with these, uh, let's say, leading or rhetorical questions. Uh, he's asking, will the search of the strong reefer demand continue into 21? And is it purely related to the COVID-19? And I will uh, give the word on, on this one to, uh, to you, Thomas. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put the is that it, it will be uh, continuing at least uh, as a weird line aside, probably to be humble uh, 12 months out. I mean, anything beyond that in terms of cargo flows, it's, uh, yeah, you can make a five-year projection, but anything over 12 months is probably risky. So, so looking at, at pork as a driver into China, yes, uh, that, that's going to stay. Um, COVID itself, actually, when uh, I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier, if you take out China from the global picture, we are seeing a slight drop. So, so you could say the worst case scenario uh, from uh, uh, from a shipping line point of view would be if China was back on on firing on all cylinders for own production and didn't have to import anything overnight. That is unlikely to happen. It will it will drip feed, and I think as Frank said earlier. Uh, we are not over yet with the swine flu. It, it's it's spread unfortunately to to Europe as well and, and Germany and so on. So I think it's fair to plan that this uh, shortage is, is there to stay also in in in, in 2021. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, a question coming in from our uh, old time friend uh, Alex from Stemple. I hope you are online uh, here, Alex. Um, He's asking um, in his uh, usual way, what must the industry do now to prevent a rerun of the reefer logistics fiasco encountered at the beginning of the COVID crisis? So if I had to translate that, not having Alice now uh, filling in on that one, uh, the fiasco being uh, most likely, what he means being a fiasco most likely being uh, that a lot of containers uh, were continue flowing into China and with no way of getting them back out again. So so I could also uh, ask the other way around uh, to to Merck, uh, to, to you, Bruce. Uh, let's say that it all uh, repeats itself. Uh, will you stop shipping into China uh, just to safeguard uh, the availability of boxes elsewhere in the world? Yeah, interesting question. It's a good one. Um... <laughs> Um, you know, when when it, when it all went down, we obviously didn't know the extent or depth of, of the challenge we were going to face. Um, and and of course, we when when we uh, probably mm, early March, yeah, early March, early to mid March, we had this realization: 
do we go down the line of stopping acceptance into China, or do we continue servicing customers in line with our commitments? And, and that conversation became a, a more customer-driven discussion, saying, all right, well, for, for customer A or customer B, these are, we can offer you this picture, we can offer you this option, but of course with, with, with ABC risks. Um, so we took it more down to a customer discussion rather than taking a blanket approach saying, okay, we stop acceptance. Uh, but of course, it came at a cost. Now, um, would, we, would we, without knowing the exact extent of what may happen, take a, take a um, hammer approach and just stop acceptance across the, across the board? Ha highly unlikely. Uh, we'd, play, we'd play as long as we can with the conversation, see where, where it's going. But of course, if we get to a situation where, if, if it was today, right now, um, if you recall, we had three vessels outside port as virtual or floating storage. Uh, we were using uh, other hubs to hold containers. Today, the TC rate's on fire. You can't get available ships simply to park outside a terminal or a port. So if it was right now in this situation, of course, we would have taken much earlier steps in saying, okay, we either have to start ceasing acceptance or, or really, really, uh, there's a price, a price discussion on this. But uh, that would have been that would be our actions today. But once again, the hammer approach of stopping acceptance upfront completely to secure potential future supply in the future uh, is probably not a probably not something we'd take it at uh, uh, take it a whim. It will be a much more considered, measured perspective and based on the other aspects I've mentioned. For example, TC rates of vessels, vessel availability, and so on. Good. Um, there are a few more questions, but let me just say also to all our listeners, uh, now is the time that you uh, ask your question because we have uh, approximately seven, eight minutes uh, left before we, uh, we move on uh, from this session. Um, let me just ask a question to, if, if I know, uh, if, if you are where I think you are, Chris Schwartz, then uh, good morning. <laughs> or late uh, good evening. Do you expect the uh, reefer container production to start again outside of China, i.e., for instance, in South America? And that could have, of course, uh, had uh, somewhat um, helped on the situation in China if Maersk had continued with a, a large production in, in, in Chile uh, and not the way it was going there. But uh, anybody who wants to chip in on, on whether that is uh, some, something we can expect. Uh, that uh, reefer containers will be built outside uh, China again in a foreseeable future. Thomas, yeah, I, I had a I had a comment on that. That's something dear to my heart. I mean, I think China has really done remarkably well uh, managing uh, production here this year, and that's not just for container manufacturing. It's in general uh, we're not seeing a supply problem back in, in China. Having said that, I think geopolitically, all sectors are looking uh, themselves in the eyes and say, you know, do you want to be too dependent on one country? Uh, and, and you could say in the case of container manufacturing, 100% of the world's marine containers are built in one country today. Is that comfortable in the long run? Possibly not. And that was one of the reasons why uh, MCI invested in, in, in Chile. That didn't work out for various reasons. So, so you know, fast forward five years from now, Will, will somebody potentially produce put the, uh, containers outside China? I think I would give that a higher than 50% chance, yes. Uh, and I know exactly where I would place it, and it wouldn't be South America. 
but it would be in the northern hemisphere. But uh, stay tuned for that one, perhaps. Yeah, uh, there might be uh, there might be areas uh, either for instance US or uh, more likely maybe in the eastern part of Europe take off some slack there. Um, I, I would like to give the word now uh, just uh, one to two minutes to all of you uh, and, and starting with you what if, if we are now fighting uh, Ola, can you un Ola, sorry very difficult to understand you Thomas can you un yeah okay okay can you is it is it okay now okay um so so to all of you just one two minutes uh, each of you five to ten years from now on what was a major thing that came into our industry that we learned from the COVID-19 situation. What was a game changer that took place because of what is happening right now? Bruce, any, any input on that? Yeah, uh, uh, thank you, Ella. And, and, and uh, I guess it'll be my last uh, comment here. So once, thanks, for, thanks for the time on, on, on Cool Logistics and Rachel, thanks for arranging. And for the colleagues, uh, thank you for, for the, good, uh, the good forum. Yeah? Uh, the good panel. Um, so, so yes, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, the, the couple of trends we see, probably the one that uh, probably I'd like to highlight too, one is this, the value of data um, and what we can do with the data. I think that's, that to me is probably one of the key ones in the future that we need to figure out how we can enable um, the containers to give us more than just the physical flows. Um, and the second is this uh, resilience planning. I, I don't, we don't see this as a bump in the road. Um, if it's not called COVID, it's called something else. Um, I think we need to be better at uh, having a framework uh, that, that works, that, that's more of a partnership framework and works along the lines of uh, not trying to penalize each other, but trying to figure out a, a customer, uh, a customer, a customer supplier relationship um, that, that goes past, um, past, past the traditional way of looking at it and rather seeing how can we cooperate to, to continue moving uh, goods uh, dealing dealing with each other in in a difficult spot. I think those are probably my two two call outs that uh, I think have have now been highlighted more and more and will continue to be relevant and important. Thank you. And Frank, on that same question. Yeah. Um, so I think a very important really is that uh, also the uh, shippers, customers, they understand that chain management, cargo care management, plan and forecasting for the future is key and is key in order to be competitive on, on uh, the reliability, uh, on the logistics reliability. So supply chain, cargo care management, we have to put over procurement. We have to put over procurement. We see the tendency more and more because that procurement is taking over and uh, really considering the needs and the requirements of the supply chain uh, division. This is for me one of the, the, the key elements which the uh, shippers, the customers have to consider in the future in order to uh, uh, guarantee uh, their supply chain works also in the future and also in time of uh, uh, difficult situations like COVID-19. Thank you very much. And Philip?
Well, I, I think there's uh, a couple of things. First of all, that um, particularly with the with the smaller players or new players, uh, shippers, uh, producers around the world, for the last couple of years, uh, taken a lot of the shipping uh, and the logistics for granted. It's, it's there. The ship is there, fantastic, every Monday, and I can load a box. No problem. Because there's been ample capacity, ample space, a lot of competition from the lines, etc. A little bit in line with what Frank said, suddenly, uh, uh, even the small guys have to plan. And I think this is something that uh, has, has prompted them to really uh, look at this uh, with uh, different eyes. Um, and I think good uh, for the rest of the supply, which is deploying all the assets, and even the smaller guys also come with programs which uh, they really need to accomplish. And, and I think for them, it's, uh, it's, it's good. And, and for the people in the asset, I said even better. Thank you very much, Ben. Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, so I think the, the for me the, the most important thing has been the fact that we are spending much more time at home. Uh, we're spending more time working from home. We are spending more time uh, with our families at home. That means we're cooking at home, we're entertaining at home, and we, we, we're paying more attention to what we eat. Uh, less food waste, we buy what we need when we need it, and so on. And I think that that thing is being accelerated now. Um, and when you then match that up with the younger generations and our own kids, I mean, I really enjoyed spending time with my daughters, and, and they have a completely different view on, on, on the future than we do. Uh, and, and it's about this big thing about how do we save the planet actually, right? How do you consume this and, and, and animal-based proteins? I think that thing will be accelerated by COVID. It would probably have happened. So if you if you picked a sort of a hockey stick, it, it would go like this anyway, but now it's just coming much faster to us. People are learning much, much quicker because of us spending time at home and we're reflecting more on, on what we consume. Um, so I think that for me the number one thing is an accelerant to all that, which is which is a good thing actually. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, I tend to agree with you on you need to unmute. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. Um, uh, that uh, the, the let's say lower consumption due to. Um, uh, lower damage uh, to the food and the fact that we are on a number of products uh, near sourcing uh, production to the bigger uh, areas of, of where we live on, on this planet uh, is long term going to change some of the uh, logistics and transport patterns also for reefer uh, commodities. That said, obviously, uh, we have uh, uh, Climate differences in, in the sense of having uh, summer and, and wind on wind on summer, uh, which, which obviously provides for the opportunity for the southern hemisphere to export uh, their produce into the northern hemisphere when we are out of season here. Um, and for that matter, also vice versa, because the buying power, uh, give, by and large, is obviously also increasing in the southern hemisphere. So there will be also a an increased trading pattern there uh, for some commodities, obviously. Um, 
I think we will touch upon some of those issues also later on in the uh, in today, actually in the afternoon. So uh, without further ado for now, uh, I wish to, from my side, uh, thank uh, the panelists for participating and I'll hand it back to you, uh, Rachel. Uh, thank you very much and I'm giving a physical and uh, I'm sure the whole audience a round of uh, virtual applause for uh, a really excellent session packed with information um, and very thought-provoking. Um, and thank you, Ole, as always, for the superb moderation. I won't take up too much time as we do have a packed schedule, but just to wrap up the session, um, I am, just need to send some apologies to our delegates. A number of them had some problems seeing and adjusting the uh, slide size during the session. So just a message to everybody, we are working to resolve the issue and a reminder that the sessions will be available on full recording and we will also be making the PDFs available to you as individual separate documents for each session. So please rest assured you will be able to view all of that information and uh, our apologies for the technical glitch. Um, so we now have uh, following on from the discussions, we will perfectly follow on our next session, main session, will be at 11.30 and we're really delighted we're going to be joined by Andre Sima, uh, CDIO for Mediterranean Shipping Company, who've kindly supported us this year as a platinum sponsor, uh, sending lots of attendees our way, not just MSC team, but also shippers and logistics companies. It's been fantastic. Thank you, MSC. So the next session is focusing on um, digital transformation and disruption, which I think will follow on very well from the conversations we've just had, uh, particularly Bruce's comments at the end, what do we do with all this data? Um, so we're looking forward to that. And before that, uh, just to let everybody know, you're all welcome to join MSC's running uh, webinar um, starting uh, in about 10 minutes. So um, please feel free to join. So uh, thank you again, gentlemen, for a fantastic and thought-provoking panel. Uh, join us to delve further into digitalization and how we make it work. And uh, we will see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you all.